Welcome back to the Writer's Advice episode, Writer's Advice podcast. Welcome to the Writer's Advice podcast. Here's another episode. Thanks for being here. This week and next week are two of my favorite episodes um, and go-tos. So if you are new here, these are really great to listen into. If not, and you've been enjoying this podcast, either way, you're going to absolutely love it too, because I have put together some great little tidbits of from every podcast that we have had and every author that we have interviewed this um, year, essentially, of 2022. So this is the best of 2022 when it comes to writer's advice with the question, what um, advice would you have for any up-and-coming writers or writers looking to take their um, their career to the next level, essentially? So this is Little Snippets. This week and next week, because there's so much goodness um, to share in both episodes, and I want to I wanted to spread this out because I wanted to make it a little bit slower because I really want um, this stuff to be taken in rather than overloading you with you know so much advice in one episode. I've spread it out to two, so this um, yeah I don't think I've got anything else to share with you other than I hope you are having a fabulous. Um, Christmas and New Year's and wonderful time of the year that it is. And if you love these episodes, please um, subscribe, please like, please um, review, please share it with a friend who you also think would love this episode as well. This is a really great little bit of advice with also this time of the year, I feel like everyone is putting um, together like your plans what you want to achieve for the next year and I hope this gives you some more than motivation but helps you put everything into place that you want to achieve for the upcoming year of 2023 so without further ado enjoy this little mashup episode guys of the best advice um from the writer's advice podcast writer's advice is a point of connection a dose of inspiration and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. keep up <laughs> um, I <love> so <laughs> it's it, and it's actually it's really true because some people work at a faster pace and like me for example I finished selfless the first draft in 2017 so technically the book had been around for a long time before it was printed so it's very feasible for me to have written more since then but um <laughs> The, the music machine is not as slow as the publishing machine and the music machine is slow. So <laughs> do with that what you will. That's one of the reasons, like I said, that, that I'm independent because as well, I like to be able to sort of dart and pivot and move where my audience is. If I put out a 
strong and it's heavier and it's a bit more rock and people were like, yeah, then I can go, hey, I, I was going to put out this more like a softer song or poppy. Control and the luxury. So that is one of the things that I think um, I think about a lot in publishing and in the book world and things like that because I I know what it's like to finish a book and be like I would really like to just read the next book or I would like to choose when I read the next book and not have to wait and forget because sometimes you forget what happens in the book if you wait too long yeah. <laughs> and then you have to reread it. It isn't always a bad thing, but. It is always in the back of my mind. Yeah, yeah. And then, oh gosh, there's there's so much more I could I could go into that. That's probably a whole other long podcast. <laughs> I could sit and chat to you. The conversation. <laughs> um. So selfless. Now you said that you started with this world. Like you were definitely, you know, intertwined. You know, you wanted to really write this world. What when I'm sure you have a lot of ideas coming through when it comes to um, writing and creating in general. What how how do you go ahead with the ones that you choose? Like, how do you know what ones to, yeah, I'm definitely going to write that one as opposed yeah. to, yeah. Good question. I find it can be quite difficult. I'm very um, obsessive and um, I get kind of a little tunnel-minded uh, uh, when it comes to certain things. So once I have an idea, it, it doesn't take very long for me to sort of see the whole thing, see all the characters, see the setting, really get attached to it. And sometimes that's good because it's a great idea. And sometimes the idea is a great idea, but it's just nothing that I'm interested in and I can waste time going down this rabbit hole. And then I get to the end of the outline and I'm like, yeah, I'd watch this, but I don't really want to be the one that writes it. Or I'd read this, but I don't really feel like writing it. So I've learned to become a bit more discerning in terms of how easily it flows and I know that there's an element of creativity that isn't easy and I think the more you do something the more you write the more you learn to discern the difference between um good challenge and bad challenge and there are people that say every challenge is a good challenge but that's fine if you're a hobbyist and this isn't your career <laughs> if you're a professional in a field Sometimes bad challenge is just wasting your time, pushing water up a hill and you don't have to do every idea that you ever have. And I think that's one of the problems with people that start and starting out in a creative field, even with visual arts as well, all different types of creativity. Sometimes there's this whole thing like, will I ever have another idea like this? Better pursue it. And oftentimes you're actually better off ditching an idea that you're not super passionate about because otherwise the only person that you're going to affect is yourself <clears throat> so I I've become much better at going no this is worth putting that energy into because when you're working on something you know you're putting that energy you're putting your essence into it and that's very you know that's special or that's magical or it's precious or whatever you want to call it you need to be mindful of where you put your energy. And so I'm more mindful, but I also am, like I said, very obsessive and quite meta. And I have created a world web in which every book sits in an alternate world, but they all can map to each other regardless of their genre. And it's a very complicated system that I will one day reveal. But now I judge a book based on its ability to fit into that web. And if it doesn't fit easily into the web, then 
I put it to the side, but if it fits within this world web that I've created, then I'm like, ooh, and then I follow the strings of the web. <laughs> oh my God, that is amazing. Like, <laughs> what a great way to do it. I'm, I'm like, and also I do feel like you have created the world that you were meant to create because it, you know, the way that you're speaking about creativity now and what is exactly in selfless is just amazing. So thanks. Thanks for gifting that to the world. <laughs> now, when it comes to the art of writing, I've one, I've, I've got a couple of questions on this. I'd really love to know firstly, how you've found the difference between songwriting all the way to, you know, writing novels and, you know, how you intertwine them or how you do differently or how you see that one helps the other or which brain states to get in, et cetera. <laughs> um, well, they are very different yeah. <clears throat> for obvious reasons. I find, I guess the biggest difference is the quantity. Mm. When you're writing a song, it's more like writing a poem with repetition. Mm. In essence, there are three parts to a song, four if you have a bridge, um, five if you have a pre-chorus. But two of those five parts are repeated because the pre-chorus and the chorus are repeated. And um, I used to write lyrics that were really complicated. And then I wrote lyrics that were moderately complicated. And that's what I settled on. Because when you write things that are too complicated, it's it can be more difficult for people to connect with. And with music, you don't have the time for people to muck around. You want them to connect as quickly as possible. So my songwriting I try to be very succinct and I try to be a little bit cryptic but not too cryptic and I try to be um I don't know like I try to use a lot of imagery which is why I set all the songs every single song is about an experience a personal experience in my life some songs are about the same experience like I've got like five songs that are about the same thing but I don't tell people what that is because mm -hmm. it's irrelevant to them and I think we live in a day and age now where with music in particular, there's this kind of expectation that you have to divulge everything as an artist, as a musician, as a songwriter. Yeah. You need to be very explicitly clear um, with what your song's about. And me as the listener has the right to know. It's my right to know. And I think that that's a bunch of rubbish and it's nobody's right to know because it's personal. And just because you've chosen to put something out, doesn't mean you've chosen to put out all the information like mm -hmm. <laughs> yes so that's how I view songwriting it's like sorry it's I how I that fallen that's how I choose to vent my emotions and to cleanse myself essentially I find it cathartic and therapeutic and songwriting is quick and it's easy and if a song takes me more than 90 minutes to write, then it's, that's it. I'm done. Don't yeah. look at it again. Yeah. So that's very different. When I'm writing a book, I write an outline. When I finish my outline, I write a first draft very quickly, usually within a few days. And once I finish that, I go back through and I just keep going through. And every time I edit and go through the book and read the book again, I add more layers, more layers, more layers. And then you get to a point where you're like, well, I've added enough layers and you edit it again and you remove layers, remove layers, remove layers. And so that's how I write. So it's much longer. It's more in depth. It's more, um, I guess it's more thinky, except for that first draft, whereas my songwriting is a lot more organic and free flowing. I don't like using an outline. I 
hate it if I'm in a songwriting session and somebody's like, let's write down our themes and work from there. I'm like, how about we don't? (laughs) (laughs) My job. (laughs) And that comes with time and experience. And and I wasn't like that at first. I was really timid and scared. And I, I don't love songwriting sessions, but when I do them now, I'm much better at sort of working collaboratively and you have to be if you want to be a professional author you have to work collaboratively because when you work with editors um you have to be open-minded about people's stuff and that is the one thing I think songwriting gifted me it was the ability to see the benefits of collaboration Mm. and to be able to collaborate full stop because the amount of people that I've spoken to and editors and I've worked with different editors at different stages and yada yada who have said wow, you're so different to other writers. And I'm like, I think that's because I'm not coming from this, you know, like in my writing cave, never worked with anyone before, submitting this book that is my baby and Mm. like, no, don't touch it. Whereas I'm like, yeah, I've sat in rooms with a bunch of men telling me that my ideas weren't relatable when I'm talking about a very womanly experience that they would have no perception of like okay my idea is not relatable cool (laughs) and and people have these ideas and sometimes you're like okay and then sometimes secretly you're like no actually I think you're right that wasn't very relatable no one's going to understand what I meant so you learn to listen and to learn and every every person even people you don't like or you don't like their opinions have something to offer you if you're willing to listen everybody even people you don't agree with you can learn from in some way in some capacity even if it's not what they think they're teaching you yeah 100 percent. and you sound like you've created a really great balance with with the feedback like with whether it's working with an editor or a songwriting session of like what to take on and and then also no this is definitely the way I you know it's finding that balance between all of it and what you're going to take yeah. from it how and how, how do you do that really quickly yeah it becomes a little bit like the little boy who cried wolf. If you're always saying no to people when it's something you actually care about, you lose control. But if you're willing to to dance with people and go yes when it's a yes, when it's a real no and something that you really want or something that's really important to you, everyone's going to listen. Everyone's going to go, no, she means it this time. So yeah. I think that's really important to remember. If you're just like, no, this is my art all the time people are going to be like okay they're never (laughs) going to believe you they're not going to take you seriously (laughs) yeah yeah finding that balance that's so good and excellent advice um what what other advice would you give up and coming authors the things that you've learned gone through um yeah that you pass on to someone who might be working on their first manuscript right now I think to anyone working on their first manuscript I would say the three things would be the first one would be um, listen to other people because if you're working with an editor, they've written and done more than you. So shut up. You're not amazing. You're learning. (laughs) And that also goes for somebody that's writing their 30th manuscript because the reality is, like we said before, you always have something to learn, even if it's not what you think. So it's better to just listen to people, smile and nod, and then go from there shutting people down from the start just you just don't do yourself any favors and I see it happen so often and it's a defense mechanism but it can be untaught 
The second thing is if you're serious about something, you will find time to do it. The amount of times I've read on like writer blogs or on some newbie writer Instagram and musician Instagrams as well, but particularly writers are notorious at this when people are like, I just can't wait to do this when I quit my job or if only I I would do this or all these kind of like excuse things. When I wrote Selfless, I was doing music full-time and I was teaching full-time and I wrote every morning at 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. to find fulfillment find love with each other but also self-love and yeah so it was it was it was largely therapeutic and very cathartic um and almost a model to see how how that could be you know how that could happen yeah absolutely I love that so much and I want to talk about um in your second book you also mentioned ADHD now you mm-hmm. um you come out and speak about um being neurodivergent yeah. I, and I like love how you mentioned this of like, no, it's not about like, it's not, it's not putting it into this, I don't want to say sob story, but it's like not turning it into that. And it's like, no, actually this is a superpower. This is how her brain works. This is, you know, and bringing light to that. Cause I actually don't think there's that much out there, like story-wise to put that into something so beautiful, like a rom-com. Um, yeah, how, like you, you must have received so much amazing feedback on that. I I feel incredibly humbled um, for how many people have connected with that. So yeah, I mean, I so I'm ADHD. I have autism. I you know I kind of run the gambit of like the fun mental health um, situations, and um, but yeah, ADHD is something that um, I think is really really misunderstood. Um, especially how it's portrayed in media. So often we see it in this very male-centric lens, especially for adolescent males, right? Like we have very little tolerance and grace for adults that, you know, actively demonstrate signs of ADHD. And then even less grace for women that have it. And, you know, so many women go undiagnosed and are kind of white knuckling their way through life because they don't fit this very specific model that we've decided to create to call the paradigm of ADHD. Um, And so that was really frustrating. Right. And then you know, on the flip side, when, because I, I was kind of late getting diagnosed, I was in my 20s when I was diagnosed, and I was doing a ton of reading and trying to understand, you know, it felt like I was like granted access to this whole new world where I could like understand myself better. Um, and so many workbooks or books out there about ADHD really are written by neurotypical people and are written with the focus on what people with ADHD can do to change themselves, to make life easier for the neurotypicals around them or make them more palatable to society, which like, am I allowed to swear on here? Yeah, but go for it. Yeah, fuck that. Like that's so <laughs> stupid. Like, I hate that. Like ADHD brains are gorgeous and beautiful and they're frustrating for you, you know, the people that have them, but they also offer so many so much like complexity and feeling and different problem solving and creativity and like I I'm, I feel so blessed to have this brain and so um yeah given the opportunity to write um 
a character that is loved for her brain, never in spite of it, um, was just the biggest honor. And like every time, you know, I get a message from somebody that's connected with it, um, I get I get choked up because I'm also just very sensitive. So I get like all weepy. <laughs> um, no, but I, I I feel very humbled to be able to tell these stories. Yeah, absolutely. And putting them in, you're so right. Like put these things in a fun, great light. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it kind of gets, it's it's boring of the trope to, you know, like how you said, even PTSD is coming up in your next one mm-hmm. to always make it such negative. So oh, thank, thank you for everything you do, Maisie. Oh, I think it's absolutely no, I think there's this misconception, you know, I see, I see it on Twitter all the time where it's this, this conversation about like, what makes a rom-com and like, can you have any sadness and stuff like that? And honestly, I think some of the funniest moments of my life have come when I was like depressed as hell and just like in my therapist's office, like miserable. And I say something hilarious and then we both laugh and like, <laughs> you know, like, I that right there is healing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah and so I, I hate this idea that like trauma or rough patches or dark seasons in life are mutually exclusive from joy and laughter and happy endings and love um and so yeah that's kind of that's kind of what I try to to go for in the in the books <laughs> absolutely and and like obviously they've gone so well and so many people love them and I'm so well what well, is it a plus one is that what you said the yeah the plus one yeah next one as well the plus one yeah. that is amazing now Maisie can you give some up-and-coming writers or someone who's maybe working on their first couple of manuscripts at the moment what kind of advice would you give to someone who is currently in that position I think it, you know it's it's tricky because like I always want to come up with something t- totally new and creative to share <laughs> that like been told a thousand times over um but for me I feel like I become a stronger writer when I step back from the actual writing and read for the pure joy of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, obviously I write in romance and I read almost exclusively in romance. Um, you know, the, the, the mix mix ups come with like historical or contemporary or paranormal or stuff like that. But um you know, getting to a point where it's not even that I'm reading a book for a, a study in craft or things like that, where I'm just reading for the joy of being lost in the story. Mm-hmm. I think that that's so invigorating and allow and you know reignites that excitement to sit down at the keyboard and and cut open the vein and put your heart into the story that you're working on. And so, reading is such a crucial component of writing. Um, and then I would also have to say um, this this process, uh, writing, publishing, all of that um, comes with a lot of rejection and, and a lot of hurt. Like I, you know, I got a ton of rejection on submissions when I was querying. I, I almost, my book almost died on sub when I was out with editors. Like there is so much rejection. Um, And so I think it's really, really important early on to develop a connection with with your work where you love it, um, but you know that your worth isn't tied to it Um, because that, yeah, because so much, like so much heartache and hurt comes when you believe that your worth is tied 
to to something because I, that's what makes writing hard, right? Like we we create art, but then the act of selling the book is consumerism. And so it's where these two almost at odd things meet. And so it's like, it's a total mind fuck. And like, it's very painful sometimes. So just, you know, loving the process of writing and protecting the joy of that. And also just knowing that your worth as a human has nothing. jumping to the end already um like a, an advertising side of it I've had to learn how to do ads um you know uh, more marketing marketing is constantly changing so it's keeping up with that you know there's a daily grind to take to, to make sure that you're on trend with you know which platforms are the best platforms or which platforms you do this on and that on you know all those things but I would say it's it's better now. I don't work 16 hour days, thank goodness. But I, I get up in the morning and that's when I do all my writing. I get the writing um, done. And then I move on to like administration, marketing, admin, um, you know, social media. Um, and I, I can have my evening to myself. <laughs> Sometimes because of the time zone and I'm my agents in America and my publisher and, you know, most of my author buddies, I do get emails coming in and some of those you just you have to answer. But in general, I can, you know, have a fairly normal uh, working day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 100%. And what, how long would you say it takes you to write a book now? Like are you, how many would you say that you're trying to like pump out a year or, or what's that process like now? Three or four a Perfect. year. Um, yeah. And it just depends like the last book I wrote which hasn't been announced yet but it's from a publisher it just flew out and it only took me six weeks but it usually takes me about two or three months yep yep then straight to the editor and then that process from there yep I love this you're just an absolute producer how do you choose what kind of ideas to go with or to run with um it's, it's, it's kind of heart and head, really, uh, because I always keep in mind what my readers are expecting. Um, once you have built up an, an audience, that does become a part of it, whether you want it to be or not. You know, like there is that part of you, I just want it to be pure. <laughs> but once you have such a big audience, you have to you have to take them into consideration. Um, and so it's really about one, the spark of the idea, and then like, what what kind of tropes could fit into this idea that I know my readers will love, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So that's, that's yeah. yeah. And then you pick it from there of like, okay, this is, I'm going to pull a story from that. I love that. Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. I have a couple of different questions. So I know you have so much advice that you can give up and coming writers. So I have a couple of different questions on all different avenues. Firstly, when it comes to craft, um, what would be the number one advice that you've learned that you've, you know, the biggest thing that you had to overcome with that when it comes to writing your first manuscript or, or diving into, you know, becoming a quote unquote professional writer? <laughs> I think the biggest, and I know from talking to other writers that this is something similar that we share, 
is to overanalyze what you're writing in the moment and pick it apart and just overwhelm yourself with the need for it to be perfect on the first go. Um, and I was very, you know, I did that a lot in my early years. And I've just learned now to just take a breath and just write, just write and then fix it in, in the editing process, you know? Like you can't do anything if there's no words on the page. Um, and that's what that tends to do. It causes a block and you just find yourself staring at an empty screen. So just write it. Don't worry about it being perfect. Don't even worry about it being what's going to be in the final product at all. And just go back and edit in the process. Um, perfectionism gets you nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love that. That's really great advice. Excellent. And when it comes to business, what would you say is your number one thing of like, um, if someone who is looking to self-publish or is currently self-publishing, um, some best advice that you can give for that? Honestly, for like growing your audience, the most stable way to grow your audience, because nothing is guaranteed, but the most stable way is your newsletter. So it's a lesson I learned the hard way. I focused totally on Facebook at the time, because at the time it was pre-ads and the algorithm worked in our favor. And I grew all of my followers on there. And then Facebook changed everything, mm. you know, you had to pay to get views, basically. And it will happen with other platforms. Right now, TikTok is amazing and you can go viral and it's awesome. But there's no guarantee that that won't change just the same way as other platforms have. So focus on your newsletter because it's the most stable way to grow your audience. You know that that's not going anywhere unless there's a really big major glitch with your <laughs> with your provider so that is my biggest advice I say that all the time now because I did not do it at the height of on Dublin Street and I had to start all over again um once that series finished so yes that is yeah scenes like I'll have to do this and that and that and suddenly then I'll get a big sheet with lines for each character of the scenes that are left to write but when I'm starting I've got no idea I can see to the first turning point and I don't always know how to get them there and so for writers the hardest scenes to write are bridging scenes and they're bastards you know they can take so long to write because not only because you're getting to an explosion or what I call a bomb. You're getting to that, but you to get there, it's got to be interesting. And you've also got to reveal something either about character or about plot to keep it turning. And those books you read that kind of come to a full stop or a sluggish, and that's because the bridging scene mm. is not very interesting, you know, yep. you know, they're just having a cup of tea. So, and Please, you can, I mean, I've just written quite a few cups of tea, but something uh, significant happens. If your characters are sitting down having a cup of tea and talking about the weather and, and, and nothing new is being revealed about plot or character, then take it out. It does mm-hmm. not belong, you know. And that's what, that's what makes bridging scenes really, really hard. Um, so, yeah, they're horrible. And I don't, I don't always know what scenes. As I said, I, I can have, I have pivotal scenes in my head and it's easier toward the end. 
Um, I write character-driven novels. That said, I've just, the book I've just handed in, The Money Club, is very driven by plot. And I don't want to say it out loud. I was going to say, are you allowed to? <laughs> no, well, it was easier to write. It was oh. easier to write. Um, don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know why that is. Um, I mean, every book has its hard bits, absolutely. Yeah. And um, Home Fires was the hardest book to write, but that was from an emotional perspective because mm. it was about trauma and your body doesn't know. So when I was writing the bushfire scene, my body couldn't tell that I wasn't experiencing the fire because I'm writing the scene and I'm in that point of view and my character doesn't know whether she's going to live or die. And there's this massive bushfire bearing down, you know, things are exploding around them. And I got serious heartburn writing that book because my body thought I was in there. Yeah. Um, so there, you do actually have, um, if you're right into the um, mind and spirit of what that character is experiencing then and there, then you you do get a rise in cortisol and your heart does beat faster and yeah so it's unhealthy (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's hard to separate yourself from that like you write characters so realistically and you're able to draw people in and into these beautiful intense emotions and that also brings out so much in people and the fact that you said you know exactly what the characters think about themselves yeah. I can't imagine writing that in so many different characters at once in one book. You have to fully embody yourself into that into that person. It's it's a hard thing to separate. And it's interesting because I write on. Well, I generally write a scene um, in one point of view, then the next character and the next character. Not always. My new editor for. Um, which came in with a home like ours, restructured me a bit, which worked really well. But still, you 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 spend a, um, a, a significant amount of time with one character, and then we move into the, the mm. next character. And what I find is, when I when I finish a scene, and sometimes it can take three or four days to write the scene. I'm not exactly fast, especially if, if it's a bridging scene. I've got no idea what I'm doing. Um, then then you you're so immersed in that character, and then you. You, you look at your plan and you go, oh, well, I'm writing her now. Now, what the hell was she doing? So then I have to go back and read what she was doing, even if she's appeared in the last scene, because you need to find out what, where she was up to, what she was thinking, you know, and what the next jumping off point was. So, um, and I'm a little bit anal retentive, obviously. I didn't realise I was, but I have to write chronologically. Yeah. Um, I don't write, oh, this scene and that. I think that's just a complete nightmare. And what I do find for you readers um, is when, you, when you're in the middle of something and you don't know what you're doing and you don't seem to be, you're spinning your wheels and you can't seem to move forward, it's normally because you haven't written something earlier that needs to have happened or an opinion or a moment and so I spend in the first half of the book, I spend a lot of time going backwards so that I can go forwards. Mm. You know, I go back and I, I, I sew that thing in so that then I can use it. So um, then occasionally, like with the book I've just sent in and Home Fires, I think was another one, uh, I reach a point and suddenly I will get an idea. It doesn't happen heaps, but 
I will get an idea for a scene that's quite a bit like it might be right toward the end and I used to ignore it but now I don't now I just just type it I don't do any speech tag or I just type out the general thoughts and maybe bits of dialogue and I park it yeah it's either gonna work it'll either be pretty I can tie it in or it's a disaster but normally because it's a a quite a pivotal scene and I just leave that at the bottom of the manuscript because I know I'm not going to get there for maybe two months or something but it's there and um and that that worked with this book that I just did. It, it, it blended in uh, occasionally. But I think if you write randomly all over the shop, I think you lead yourself into a, a mess of trying to pull it together. But as I said, I write chronologically. So what I do is I, I will write and then the next morning, the next, and some days are terrible, especially if you're doing a scene in the early part of the book, you're not quite sure where you're going. So, you know, you might get 800 words for nine hours work. Yeah. But... <laughs> A good one. <laughs> but no, well, and you sort of think, oh, God, that's hopeless. But then you go back the next day and you read it and you go, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought. Mm. And so you edit that and then you, you, and also overnight your subconscious has been pulling strands together. And so then you'll have a better writing day and you, you build on that and you move forward. So I, I always read what I wrote the day before and, and move forward from there. And then when you get to significant turning points, I'll stop and read it all to make sure it hangs together before I move on to the next section. So because I do that, I don't write draft one, draft two, draft three. When I finish the novel, the novel's finished. Yeah. Constantly edited all the way through. And I was just reading The Money Tree before I handed it in. And, you know, you write these big books, so it takes four to five days to read it all. And I was just doing little things. So the first the first three quarters of the book sang and it was because it was so clean. It was great. And then we got to the bit that I'd written of all of April, <laughs> which was a fair amount. And I think it took me a day and a half to edit 100 pages because, you know, that had been, that was rougher. And so we tidied all that up and, and then it went. But uh, so that's how I write. But everyone does it differently. And some people just they have this download which I never get and they just can see the story and they just write it all down and and it's very 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 much a first draft when people say oh I wrote a book in a month I'm sorry sweetie you may have got a first draft in a month and now the hard work starts you go in and you find out does it hang together you've got to go in and deepen all your emotions you know all that sort of stuff um that's that's you you need a lot of editing yeah I do it as I go and everyone has their own system and and doing that and coming back and be like okay where was I at it it would help tie and find those bridging parts a lot better I can imagine that way as well and you know that's the perfectionist in me I want to know that it's there and it's done and I can move forward because if it's if I'm not very good like some people have no problem in oh yeah and they do and they just do it oh fix that later and they'll come back to it and they just keep going and I'm like, I can't keep going until I fixed it. I have got a bit better in if I can't think of it of a word, and I'll do an asterisk. Um, and and also I, although I do a lot of research before I start, I'll reach a point and you know I'll get this brilliant idea, not so brilliant, and then I go off. So I, I, don't, I think 
Oh, so in, they decide to go fishing. Well, I know sweet FA about fishing. I took the kids fishing. We off a pier, but like this was a surf fishing. So suddenly I'm watching YouTube videos on surf fishing and how to cast. And I've got my husband saying, I don't understand this. Can you watch this? He says, he's holding thing at a 45 degree. <laughs> I love that. So we got all that done. Then I could write the scene, which was a pivotal a scene. And the fishing is just the background bit, but you've got to have it right. And in, um, in a family of strangers, um, I suddenly, my one of my lead characters needed to surf. And so I'm watching YouTube videos on surfing and um, I wrote this surfing scene and my eldest son has a, has a good surfer mate. And I said, oh, would Angus read my surfing scene to make sure I've got it right? And hey, I got it right. Um, and he only made one change and then he added a few lyrical things because and um and so and then people are saying oh my god you surf <laughs> research you know research I mean I bodyboard but you know yeah. I, I'm so uncoordinated I'd never I'd never be able to stand up I'd just spend my life pitching into the water but um yeah so I and I do it that way I have to stop do the research so I can write the scene but yeah. other people who are less anal retentive and probably will write books faster. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, but editing is a whole, a whole polishing, you know, mm. you've got to polish. You can't just write it down. And, you know, that's just getting that, that first draft is just getting your idea there. Yeah, absolutely. That's your, that's your seed. And then you've got to, you know, you've got to nurture it and weed it and all that, you know, if you want to use the plant analogy, um, stake it and, and go back in. Yeah, um, absolutely. And to, like, to write a book a year at the, at the size of your books, that's a huge achievement. What does your, what does your daily routine look like to, to do that? Because you would be uh, so okay. in these yeah. worlds. Well, that, that's the other thing. So for you were asking me about the process of starting. So I will get, I've handed the book in and I'll have the, um, I'll start having to daydream about the, the next idea too quickly. Um, and then my edits, I'll just, I'll have just got to the point where I think I'll start the new book. And then the structural edits arrive for the book I handed in. They take a month and they can be, horrendous to the point of where you basically restructure the entire book this one <laughs> or they can be a little easier like this one but they still and and sometimes I work seven during structurals I'll work definitely work six days a week for that and then um they go back and you say okay I'll start the new book and you you're about three weeks in you're three to four weeks and you're just starting to maybe find a bit of a stride I don't start well and then the copy edits will arrive mm. there's another month and so you send them off and you return to that book and you start writing it and you get a couple of months in on that one and then the typesetting comes that's another so you've set that aside so that happens you know in November and then it's December well oh god so you've got to write through you've got to write all around Christmas and stuff and then it's January which is summer and um we always have a couple of weeks holiday and but to meet the deadline I have to write I get up and I've, a, I've got a battery operated word processor thing for down at the tent and I do 90 minutes 
in the mornings before everyone gets up and then I'm on holidays for the rest of the day. But if I don't do that, it's a bit too stressful for the rest of the week. So then you come home and it's February and you're writing, but also you're starting to do all the marketing stuff for the book. You know, just write 700 words on this, Fiona, and record five videos for this and do that and then it's then it's release month which is March and so you're trying to be creative and still write the book and you're out on tour and that's a completely different like the creative side and the promotion side are just like they just run parallel and then well this year your son decides to get married in your busiest month of the year that's March and um, we actually threw the wedding like to down to we did the whole thing the marquee the the table set we did everything and so then it's April and your book's due at the end of the month and so you vanish and so I wrote I wrote for 21 night I took Easter Sunday off and went to see Hamilton but other than that I wrote flat out for three weeks and I'm talking all day wow that's why I need long service leave soon (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. And when you're working through those edits, but then writing something else, you're in two different stories at once. And that's, you definitely yeah. deserve a break. And I can't thank you enough for, ta- for giving us some of your time to, to share with everyone. It means that oh, welcome. I do have one last question for you before oh. um, I let you go. <laughs> now, is there any particular books, courses, or any other advice that you would give up and coming writers, whether it's on the craft or productivity sitting down getting it done whatever you particularly would give yeah well um I've got I don't know I think we're all more distracted these days I don't think you know there's all the social I think the change that's happened like three years ago I was never even asked to make a video and this time for this Mm. book I think I made about eight you know so um and then there's all the social media which really does erode into into your into your time Mm. so I've started writing uh and because I don't start well I've started using a timer that I set for 40 minutes my natural concentration span is 30 um but I set it for 40 and and sometimes it goes off and um I'm I can still keep going a little bit um often I'm 35 minutes and I'm already you know so I do it in that and I will get up then and make a cup of tea or walk around the garden and I come back and I do another 40 minutes. So I'm, I'm using a free timer that I got, you know, an app that I got. Um, craft books, I, I mean, I write scene sequel. So, um, and I was introduced to that and I think it, I, I, it's a good structure. Um, always end your um, scene on a, cliffhanger and it doesn't have to be it can be an emotional cliffhanger or it can be a plot cliffhanger but don't end a scene with nothing no reason because you never want your um reader to put your book down you want them to turn that page and keep going um donald i mean i've 